What is up, everyone? My name is Adnan Shafi. As usual, this is Pariah Nation bringing you another episode. And today we're going to be focusing on black leadership. Today we have a very special guest. As usual, we have special guests. As usual, um, her name is Mariah Mensa. And would you just like to briefly introduce yourself? Tell us about yourself. What are your goals? And obviously, um, what is the main purpose of you seeking uh, political leadership? Hello everyone, viewers and listeners out there. My name is Mariah Menster. I'm 13 years old and I'm an aspiring politician, Black Lives Matter activist, Black history academic and scholar, and I'm also a budding writer and journalist. Um, just starting off with my story and just my journey into activism and how it's been. So um, I've always had like a flair for writing and it's been evident even in my primary school education. My teachers always used to say they, they thought I was going to be a novelist or even a journalist. And I think um, as I've realised um, my talents for good and I can use my knowledge for good, I think um, I've always been told by my family and friends that I have a, a wise mind or like, I'm, my soul is older than I'm, I actually am. And I think that's been um, one of the powers that I've used to really encourage people to get into the world of activism. I know um, people have been quite startled at the fact that I'm only 13, but I don't see it as a restriction. I don't see it as a justification to be silent, but I see it as a reminder of the journey that I have to come and that the platform that I'm building, it, it may be permanent, it may be temporary, but I have, I have trust in myself and I have trust in my community that um, I can really be the voice for a lot of young black people. I think um, as my political journey goes, in retrospect, um, I, I think I've had quite a bit of success not to toot my own horn. Um, I'm currently a political candidate for Youth MP of Camden 2020 and I think that journey alone has been absolutely amazing. I've met so many young people along the way who have the same mindset as I do but I was really um, set, I have really set my mind on my campaign being pro-black and including policies that benefit black youth and give them a pedestal where they can really thrive and grow within a society that usually deprives them of opportunities that are really important. So yeah, all I would uh, say now is that I'm just really excited to do the podcast um, with Pariah Nation and this opportunity is a blessing. So thank you. Uh, thank you so much. We're definitely excited to have you here. I'd say that, if anything, I am the privileged one for being able to have someone like you on this platform. I think you're the second person that we've managed to actually contact and have on our podcast that is around the age of 13. I remember, and you should probably search her up as well, there's a girl by the name of Egypt Ifi Ufeli. And um, she also is your age and uh, she's currently, I think, doing college level courses and she's a huge entrepreneur. She's met like, you know, leaders of certain states like the, I think she's also met the, the wife of the Nigerian president. So I think the main thing that we can take from Mariah's story is the fact that age is literally just a number when it comes to people wanting to move, move forward and obviously develop new initiatives and definitely hats off to you for doing that. And I guess we'll move on to the next sort of segment. 
Um, my question is, obviously, you've come here with a lot of energy, you've come here with a lot of knowledge and wisdom, and you've come here as well with a very pro-black um, sort of initiative. And for you, someone to do that at your age, you kind of have to like, you know, cut yourself out of this bubble of, you know, um, whitewashing of history, all of this different stuff, where people are trying to tell you that as a black person, you're not necessarily worthy of any leadership position. So what was that process like? Like what made you want to actually say that as a black person, I deserve to be in positions of leadership and also please name for us at least one person that's black that you look up to as a leader. Um, absolutely amazing question. I think starting off with your first point about um, the importance of black leadership, especially for young people. Um, well, I would probably say that what really um, struck a chord with me and what really encouraged me to try and get into leadership was um, noticing a pattern of non-political awareness amongst black youth. I think um, the way politics is portrayed in the media is very one-sided, team A, team B, referring to conservatives and liberals. But I think um, as the black community, we need to be more political aware and open our, our horizons to maybe looking into ideologies that go beyond what we're represented in the media. I know um, there's a, a narrative that's pushed a lot when it comes to election referendums. The black vote, the black vote is important. Um, we need to be thinking about the black vote, but there's never really a conversation about black candidates that have ideologies and policies that really, that really support the black If your policies support me, if your policies support my people, my community, I will stand with you. And that's kind of um, because I've kind of taken a lot of pan-African um, beliefs and ideologies as my uh, black history journey has gone on. Um, in case in case anyone wasn't aware, I'm also been writing a lot of articles. And with writing articles, I've noticed that um, black writers and black journalists aren't really put on a pedestal and when you have media outlets like the guardian the, the daily mail you start to see that the black journalists are put at the back of the newspaper i read this amazing article about colorism that is still thriving within our community and is still perpetuated by black youth and that was literally at the bottom of the page um there was there was being no media coverage about it and it's just evident that we live in a world we live in a society where white white people and companies that are run by white people they profit off of black bodies but they do not appreciate what black bodies can offer and what black people can offer i think um it is time now in, in the current climate that we really create create our own bounds and create our own companies our own businesses because i think that's the only way we can truly thrive yeah i i, I completely agree with you and just to like get on your point as well i think if you look at a lot of the, the 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 different fields that we have here whether that's business whether that's politics we always see that black people have constantly been subordinated regardless of which field you look at people somehow have the subconscious belief that being black in terms of um you know just like just being black in general is not attractive in any field 
And by attractive, I don't mean like physically attractive. I mean like, for example, like a black person being on the front page or a black name being used on the front page of, uh, for example, the Daily Mail or the Guardian may not attract enough viewership because people might think that this person is less educated. And obviously for me, I think that this, this comes from uh, a large amount of, first of all, I'd say whitewashing of history. And I think black people have been the victims of psychological warfare that has been waged by the white man to try and tell us that our ancestors, especially from the African continent, had no knowledge, or at least we were, you know, some, somehow, I'd say, psychologically impaired. And all of these narratives are constantly pushed through the educational system. We will never learn. We'll constantly learn about, for example, like the Magna Carta and how it was uh, one of the first documents to champion rights of individuals and that it originated in the UK. What we'll never hear about is the Korakuan Foga, which is a simple document as well that came from the Malian Empire around the same time in 1236, Common Era. So what we're starting to see, in my opinion, is the fact that there's been, we've been lied to essentially by omitting all these facts from the history book. And when a, pers- when a black person, especially um, I'd say young black people go into classrooms, they start to ask, why aren't there black people in these history books? Why aren't there black people being featured in these magazines? Why aren't there black people that, as you say, like, why, why don't they have a pedestal for them, you know, black people? For us, history literally starts at slavery and the civil rights movement, which for me, although that history is very good, it doesn't really tell you what we're trying to fight back to reclaim, which is a sense of our identity. So obviously, I think, I, I don't think we had covered the last part of my previous question, which was, um, name a black leader from history that you look up to. And also, um, what would you recommend in terms of uh, being able to empower black people into believing that they are worthy of actually uh, applying for and going actively for these leadership positions? Um, amazing question. I think, and just going back to that last point, I'm sorry, I didn't even realise that I skipped that. Um, a leader, a black leader from the UK that I actually um, commend is Belle Ribeiro Addy. She is a part of the Labour Party and what has really stricken a chord with me about her use of rhetoric and the way that she really pushes the pro-black narrative is that within the House of Commons, a place built on slavery, it, it's, it's really poetic the way she speaks with such confidence and a flair in which she knows her place, she knows her work. Um, there's a video that was released, I think, um, a year a year or so ago, where she was talking about how there needs to be more representation of the Bain community, specifically Black people within the House of Commons, which I truly agree. I think there's a lot of talk about how London and the UK is multicultural, but we seem to not value that. We seem to use it to mask the racism within our society. I think um, black people, black people's representation within politics is an issue that we seem to not tackle. I think the only way we can truly progress in the world of politics is if we have that representation there, we have those people a part of the structure of the House of Commons there. And I think that could also be um, an argument that is pushed for Congress in the US. I think there's a lot of um, 
conflict between black liberals who try to get into office and white conservatives who are already in Congress. And I think the way we can truly combat that is if um, we start one, making ourselves more politically aware, and two, encouraging black youth to be politically aware, encouraging black youth to watch the news, to see which politi politicians are doing what, to look into the research of the first black MP, to, to really go down, look into your history books and see what what a legacy that the black community have really put into politics which is um, a narrative that is never pushed yeah i think you have a great point and i think the implications are are, are for, they're going to reach much further than just for example um telling a black kid that oh yeah you know because you know there's no one that's black in the house of commons this is an example right with the very few members of parliament that are black therefore you don't have a chance to do that i think let's also look at the the legal ramifications and political ramifications of having fewer than for example right now the statistics i believe um in following the 2019 general election right just under 10 percent of members of the house of commons were from non-white ethnic backgrounds why is this a problem the House of Commons and the House of Lords, by the way, in the House of Lords, it's under 6.1% um, of the people in the House of Lords are from non-white ethnic backgrounds. These are the people that make laws. And we know time and time again that racial bias will play into the way people make laws. So even if black people, for example, can be in the House of Commons and we'll celebrate that, oh yeah, you know, we have one more, one more, right? if they decide to push legislation that may be on the face of it very equal, but when you look deeper into it, it's actually very racist or subconsciously racist. It's a problem that it can actually go through parliament with no questions asked. This is why I say, <clears throat> this is why I always say that it's important for us, especially young black people to get into positions of power. And the, when people ask us, you know, Oh, you know, racism still doesn't exist and they make those statements, they're like, oh no, but we have black people in the House of Commons, not enough representation. Same thing for the House of Lords, same thing for Congress in the US. I think that it's important that for us to be able to gain back institutional power, to push forward our black narrative, it's imperative that we get young people involved in politics. And what, um, you being 13, first of all, what made you want to go into politics specifically? Because there's definitely different ways in which you could have uh, gone into leadership, whether it's in business, academics, different things. What made you choose politics in particular? And what advice would you give to younger people who have the same goals as you? Um, well, my journey into politics is actually quite funny. I remember um, suggesting to my primary school we had a debate club, which was something that was actually a pretty controversial because my school was not... Um, very keen on getting uh, politically involved. I think there was a whole non-partisan um, kind of narrative that was pushed. And I don't know if that was because they didn't want young people such as I to be open-minded and to have that knowledge. But I decided to um, like kind of enroll for different uh, debate programs, whether that be online, whether that be watching YouTube videos. I just started to gain knowledge on debate because I've always been someone who's likes talking and someone who likes doing research before I speak so that my argument is um, 
well justified um and I think as that passion grew it was it really um well transitioned into secondary school that's how I actually started my youth MP candidacy in year eight I saw a post on the wall that said youth MP of Camden candidate 2020 looking for candidates blah 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 and I, I, I thought to myself this is my opportunity to actually shine and then from there I started to do research into how youth politics works um the structure of youth politics some youth MPs who, who are quite um important for the um, for the Black Lives Matter movement. I think there's someone called Asiana Kek who I've actually met and spoken to who is the current youth MP of Camden and he made this viral speech about um, knife crime that, that was on all media outlets at one time and I was just really inspired by his journey, his story and the way he spoke with, so, with such confidence and such passion. And I think I've always taken inspiration from young activists which is, which is something I, I see as quite rare. I think a lot of people seem to look up to people from past generations but I look up to the people who surround me and who are in my circle. Um, for advice for young people um, getting into politics, I would say don't be afraid to voice your opinion. I think there's a whole cancel culture that is quite prolific um, within um, today's generation. And I think what I would say, do your research. If you're truly passionate about something, if you want to start a campaign, get into youth politics, or if you know of someone who is in youth politics and you're looking for advice, I would just go for it because at the end of the day, our generation has the world within our hands. We can literally mould it. And I think at the peak of the Black Lives Matter movement, it's important that young black people are getting into politics and are becoming um, aware of social issues because I think that's where the true progression starts. Yeah, first of all, that's an excellent answer and an amazing story to go with it. I think obviously, the fact that you've been able to be exposed to politics and the political structure at such a young age, um, I think it's quite beneficial because I always tell people that, and I've obviously gotten this quote from one of my friends in my old school, his name is Trevor Alwere. He, he said something that really stuck with me, that you may not take an interest in politics, but politics will most definitely take an interest in you. And this applies even if you are someone that is not of voting age. And I always tell people this, the earlier that you start thinking about yourself in being in a system, the earlier that you'll be able to actually view the world for what it is and propose tangible solutions to be able to move the world forward. And obviously that's what you've been able to do. I'd like to make the case though, right? That if you are young, you don't necessarily have to even get into politics or like, you know, people think that politics is just the leader. There's so much more to politics than just the leader. Right? There's obviously people who help with campaigns, there's researchers, people don't know how valuable like, numbers are, for example. And obviously, I think after this, we'll definitely go into different areas of leadership and how Black people can be represented there. But focusing more on political leadership, I think, obviously, and um, it's, it's an unfortunate thing that these are the circumstances under which it's happened, but you did mention Black Lives Matter. And me, obviously, being someone that posts quite a lot on TikTok, we, we see a lot of these political campaigns happening on the app. And obviously a lot of the Black Lives Matter protests were actually mobilized on TikTok. And I saw so many youth asking the question, you know, why does this app always have to be about politics? I just came on here for fun and all this different stuff. What would you say to people who say that 
you know, I don't like to get political or, you know, politics isn't my thing. What would be your message to young black people that say that? Um, that's an amazing question. I think I actually know friends who um, do ask those questions as well. I would probably say you don't necessarily have to have the wanting to be a political leader um, to understand the importance of being political aware, politically aware, because there is a difference. That p being politically aware could be looking um, at a politician and their policies for a referendum. Being um, a person who has a wanting to be a political leader is wanting to be that person on that TV screen. So that there is a difference. I would probably say at the peak of the Black Lives Matter movement, there are obviously going to be waves and waves of content about the Black Lives Matter movement. I think you, if as a young Black person, you should appreciate it if it is if it is informative and if it is genuine, because there is a lot of performative activism, especially on TikTok, and that's something that we truly need to be aware about. I know a lot of creators and politicians that are actually profiting off of this movement by by copy and pasting, we're here with you, we stand with you, etc. And it's something that does infuriate me, because I think a lot of white creators who speak about the Black Lives Matter movement are put on a pedestal, but the black creators who are speaking about the Black Lives Matter movement, it's like, as you should, oh, we don't care, we know your struggle, but we don't actually want to hear you. So what I would say to young people who maybe don't want to get into the world of politics, I would say, specifically to young black people, I urge you, I urge you to, to get politically um, aware because you, you don't realise all of these policies that are put in place, when we are older, these may affect us drastically. These, these policies have affected generations before us. These systems are affecting us actively right now. And what I would, what I would say, if even just for one day, one day you take the time to just research into politics, social issues, anything about the Black Lives Matter movement and contribute in any way, whether that be going to a protest or saying something on social media, because it's, it's all about the contributions and the value of those contributions. But I would say also to a young black person who wants to get politically involved, I have your support and there are so much young black activists who have your support and don't be afraid to use your voice because you have people here who will stand with you. Yeah, that's a very valid point. And I think when you mentioned the ideal of allyship and how a white creator will get praised for, you know, uh, talking about Black Lives Matter, I witnessed something very interesting on TikTok the other day. A Black creator came out with a bit of an un unpopular opinion. So there's this sound going around on TikTok where they like arrest the killers of Breonna Taylor. And like, you know, people are just randomly putting like, you know, uh, some sound behind it or like they're doing ran some random stuff. They don't even leave a link to, for example, a petition to sign um, to ensure that the killers of Breonna Taylor are put in jail. They just do it for the clout. And we've, we've seen obviously like, you know, um, black creators were trying to tell her that actually, no, you're wrong. Um, just stop being a snowflake in quotes or stop being so sensitive. Then a white creator came out and said the exact same thing and everyone switched up. So now we had people just saying that, you know, oh yeah, we completely see your point. And I think what for me in the activism field, 
what I'm starting to see, and this is why obviously we're starting to see new offshoots of things like feminism, is the idea that the, the idea of a white person, white people spearheading and monopolizing this idea of activism. There's this, it's, it's obviously bolstered up by the fact of the white savior mentality. And that's why I think people get so impressed when a white person is an ally to the Black Lives Matter movement. Well, I think, yeah, it should be appreciated, but it should not be idolized. There's a clear difference between the two. And you're just playing into another narrative of this white savior mentality. Another thing that I think of in my, one of my previous podcasts that I talked about, climate change. One of these girls from Uganda, she's a black girl, was supposed to appear on, she was, they took a picture and she was in the original picture. When it was put on the newspaper, she was cropped out of it. So obviously, even within the activism field, you still see this idea that it is white people that are coming to save the oppressed minorities of society. What do you think is the remedy to all of this? Well, I've always said to my friends, my family, I believe that the remedy to ignorance or a cure of ignorance is education and true understanding. And with that um, comes an actual passion and an actual urge to learn about the the oppressive society that black people live in. I think um, bringing up the uh, arrest the cops of Breonna Taylor trend, I think that's um, a really good example of performative activism and how white people are monetizing the Black Lives Matter movement to gain social capital. I think um, I follow um, a lot of black creators and I've been trying to tell my friends to follow um, a lot of black creators. And what I've noticed is that those black creators feel like they're being betrayed by the TikTok community because they're giving the information, they're giving all of the resources to actually educate. However, people, people seem to lean towards the white creators who are making content about the Black Lives Matter movement. And that what that shows to me is people's unconscious racial bias that shows to me that the systems even on social media project white supremacy and i think the only way we can truly um get to the, get to the root of the problem is is by telling people our true history talking talking about the, the things that may be deemed as controversial or too explicit because I believe the reason why people don't care about true issues is because they're not t- told about the severity of those issues. You could easily say save the children in Yemen for example but people don't realise the humanitarian crisis, the true humanitarian crisis that is there that's why a lot of people are skipping through ads, skipping through um, anything about Yemen and I think there needs to be some sort of documentary, some sort of platform that shows the harsh reality. I think that's the only way that is going to get in into people's heads. And um, talking about um, social capital and this whole white solidarity thing, I think I'm getting a bit sick and tired of gestures of of white people kneeling or showing a fist because that's that's not doing anything to dismantle systems. I at first I was like I appreciated it. But now we're just getting to the point people are trying to gain social capital, political capital, people are trying to gain voters. So at this point now, unless the system is dismantled and white people use their privilege to support us, I will no longer be um, giving people a pedestal if they do a gesture. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I've seen so much performative activism. Same thing with the black screen. Like, 
I remember another person on TikTok was also called out because um, they were white. They posted a black screen, but they were also racist. And you see, this is exactly what I mean. Like people will do whatever they can to, as you say, thrive off of social capital. And it's unfortunately, it's a really terrible trend because so long as they are the ones that are profiting, the whole movement in general is going to start losing out. So for me, definitely, um, I think it's a huge problem. This idea of like, you know, um, idolizing white allies. I mean, they are doing their job. It's, it's good to appreciate them. Obviously, they're kind of going against um, what would be considered a norm, considering that there's like systemic racism is something that's put forward by a lot of systems in society. They're kind of helping us go against that and they're using the privilege. It should be appreciated, but not idolized. And I want to move on to now a bit of a broader topic. We've talked about black leadership in politics and in several different areas, but I want to talk about black leadership in things like fashion and business, for example, in every single sector. And like, this is the, the main argument that I tell people for things like affirmative action or even just um, having specific uh, for example, programs or grants to be given to black businesses is because in every single sector, and it's no coincidence, by the way, in every single sector, whether it's business, academics, or something like fashion, we are seeing back, black people being put at the back, or at least there's some, there's some element of like, you know, profiting off of black culture, but not giving the black people the rights that they fully deserve. So which, let's talk about, a, a bit about black business. Um, what would you recommend for young black people that want to start a business and, for example, are scared? That is an amazing question. Once again, that is extremely relative in the climate that we're in now. I think becoming an entrepreneur, you need to have some sort of um, back, background into the world of business. You, I would probably um, suggest going onto courses. I know Cambridge are doing doing this program where they're actually giving out some of their courses for free if you sign up. I would definitely recommend that or and doing the business sector. I think for a lot of young black people, I think um we're pushed to um participate in certain sectors, whether that be music or athletics. We're never really encouraged to go into academics. We're never encouraged to go into entrepreneurial work. And I think that's because of mental enslavement that has been indoctrinated by media, by social media, by our education system, being reluctant to tell us about our enriching history and how we had a black Wall Street. Um, I think I myself, I've wanted to get into uh, the world of business for a while now. I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. That's something I've wanted to do on the side, whether that be a, um, a tangible business or literally just using my platform in any way, shape or form. And I think um, for a lot of young black people, they're scared, not necessarily because they don't think that their business will be successful. They don't think that they have um, a valid idea. It's mainly because we know that these systems are here but there's there's a reluctance because we feel like the systems are going get are going to go against us which they will but we have to remember here we are the innovators we most of the things that we have in our household today were created by black people you need to have that mentality you need to know that that your skin right although it's criminalized within the media is it's a gift it's a gift and um what I would say as well, look up to some uh, black entrepreneurs, whether that be Oprah Winfrey or 
or even uh, small businesses because I know I've been in contact with a lot of um, small black businesses and they have such a passion for supporting the black community and reinvesting into the black community. I think um, black business is probably at the top of my list when it comes to the progression of the black community, the, the um, concept of reinvesting and putting our pound to something that will benefit us in the future. That's, that's an, um, an ideology that I think should definitely be pushed and promoted more. Um, that, yeah, that's probably all I have to say about that. Um, for any aspiring uh, black entrepreneurs, just know that your ideas are worthy and that your company will thrive if you put your mind to it and you and you put um, the effort into creating a circle that supports you. Yeah, thank you so much for that valuable advice. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners are going to take um, a lot out of it. And I think um, my, what I'm about to say is mainly addressed towards African business owners on the continent and diasporan Africans as well. I think obviously for diasporan Africans, it's important to notice and to realize that you are starting on the back foot compared to a white person starting a business. And the reason why this is, is because, and I'm really struggling to find the statistics, but Forbes did a different study showing that black businesses struggle to actually get um, the capital that they need to be able to start up right? A lot of the times you don't have all the money that you need, regardless of how hard that you've worked to get your business off of the ground. And the fact of the matter is, even after you get your grant, sometimes there are studies that have also showed that black businesses will take longer to get their funds that have been promised to them. And also sometimes they'll receive less funding even after the agreement compared to white businesses. So this is not something, for example, to discourage you. It just proves that, for example, you might have to work two to three times harder than the average white person to get an equal opportunity in the field of business. An additional thing, what I'm starting to see is that um, we as the black community and also as the Africans, this is where the Africans come into. We need to stop looking down on our black slash African businesses. There's this idea that if it comes from a white man, then it is blessed. And it's like a very subconscious idea. You might be like, oh, no, but, you know, I don't, I don't really know this business, you know, um, it, it looks a bit shady, it's, it's in an urban area. All these different things are basically uninternalized racism. Because you not having faith in your black brothers and sisters may not be because of like a bad experience. If it's due to a bad experience, then fine, right? But that's one restaurant still, for example, or one uh, store that you visited, right? It doesn't represent the whole black community, right? But what we continuously see is that people from the black community are not necessarily either informed about black businesses or they just don't contribute to empowering these black businesses. People really don't know how valuable it is to share an ad or to just buy the first bracelet. Don't focus. If your friend owns a, if your friend is black and they own a business, one of the best presents that I can tell you is either an investment in their business or buy one of their products or share one of their products or make them a connection. Those are some of the four main things. And also the last thing that I'll talk about in, in relation to black business is there is, oh my gosh, the corporate sector is incredibly whitewashed. I can say this very, com- like, you know, very, very comfortably, especially in relation to apps like LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, I'll constantly go on posts about black excellence. Someone underneath, a white person or someone that's non-black, 
why do we have to say put race into this you know this and that oh but well, we have equal rights now but what people don't understand is that black people were never meant to be in the corporate sector so all of these systems that are in the corporate sector or even in the business sector are not built for us and which is why for example i think there's a girl called kike Owinde who's also started something called black um BYP sorry yeah it's basically a black owned sort of linkedin and i think that obviously it's important that black people know these sites they know their way around and they make connections with other black business owners to ensure that you're empowering each other so it's something that's very much um twofold and i think we're probably going to go into like the last sector of this podcast um but the general question is what what's the main reason for example um for black people being denied these opportunities whether it's in fields of academics like why are people looking down on black research why are people looking down on black businesses why are people um not necessarily inclined to elect black leaders that are in their youth amazing question once again i think you made an exceptional point about looking down upon black african businesses i think something i always think about is if you had a business for example and it was it had a lot of customers but wasn't in the best area or was in too much of an urban area for customers to tolerate i think we would all want a store in westfield or like a store in in a main shopping center but the problem is it's such high cost to rent out a space and people seem to not realize that every time i take a trip to westfield it's always gucci prada dior all of those high-end um companies but when when you look at um the context those are all white owned businesses those are all businesses that in in the corporation sector that have um, a high populace of white um workers and i think when you think about it that way there is really um an element of deprivation even at the foundation levels of business i know um many family members of mine who have worked in the corporate sector they have experienced microaggressions which is just basically racism but people don't want to say it's racism for an unknown reason and they've also experienced conflicts between themselves and other um black people within the corporate sector which i find extremely interesting i think the whole concept of divide and conquer has really seeped through into the way we treat each other as a community and i think um because there's such an urge to be at the top when you're black in in the corporate sector or to at least be respected by your white peers i think there's also going to be an element of competitiveness um amongst your black peers too which is something i i think we should cut out i also believe the way in which we can rebuild the black wall street is by creating companies um in social media in property and finance which i believe will combat gentrification um i also believe um getting into the world of media would be great the only black owned media um page or or network that i know of that is doing great is bet and that's the only one that i know of which is quite concerning and i think um even when you have people looking down on nollywood that's just um goes to show that a lot of people look down on black networks black businesses and i think 
just the last point i think if we're going to support black businesses we should also support black platforms we should support black platforms that are giving us the information we need to buy at black businesses to know about what these people are doing for the community i know i follow um a page called natural hair which is giving really valuable information to me about salons that are starting up that are black owned that do 4c hair and that specialize in 4c hair i know as a black girl i've had a struggle with finding hairdressers who can do my hair in a way in which um i don't feel like i have to straighten it before or like use a product before so it's manageable just my own natural hair and i think it's important that we have we have connectivity within our community amongst business yeah um that's an excellent point especially about supporting black platforms all of this different stuff and i just want to note um specifically i think the main crux of this thing is that as black people the racist system has indeed pushed us down or at least the new colonial system um it does push us down for example but i'll tell you one thing that black people will be able to do better than any other group of people is to find solutions that are based in their community or based on problems within the community. Because the fact of the matter is, for the longest time ever, for example, hair products have only been catered towards white, um, you know, the white uh, populace. And the same thing about all these different other sectors, it's always been about the white person. They've been the focus of society. Now, as an entrepreneur, the thing is, we are, we are taught to learn to love our problems. Why? Because with a problem, that's a solution and maybe that may even be profit. And I want to specifically single out two women who are the first uh, black female millionaires and they were born as like descendants of slavery, essentially. So their family, like one generation ago, were slaves. The two people that I'm going to talk about are Madame C.J. Walker and Annie Malone. Right? So they, they did kind of what you're talking about in relation to black women's hair. Obviously, there was no black products for women and uh, they did not have access to, you know, all these different shops who, which had the, the products which would like, you know, you'd apply to your hair and they don't get damaged. So what these two women did, eventually one was working for the other, but they more or less did something very similar, is that they saw a gap in the market and they said, you know what, black women don't have the hair products that they're looking for and their hair keeps getting damaged. So they came up with the ideas and they eventually started selling. And here's the key thing that I think for me just proves that if you're a black person out there and you want to start a business, that there's nothing that's stopping you from being ultra successful. These women went into a market that, first of all, did not even allow them to put their products on the shelves because they were black products. Now, obviously, today, the, the restrictions have definitely died down. It's not like they're not there, but they've definitely died down but they were able to actually create their own systems. And they said, you know what? I'm going to go, go uh, like door to door and I'm going to market my product. And people are going to end up doing referrals and they're going to end up doing this. They managed to amass so much wealth that obviously I think um, in today's money, I think Madam CJ Walker would have died with a net worth of $8 million, right? So obviously the stories are there. And like, I, I hate the fact that we're not taught these in school. There are not enough articles on these different stories. And... I think definitely we need to really, really reshape that. Which brings me over uh, to the last like theme of our podcast. Um, what solutions would you suggest that would make leadership for the black person, whether it's in academics, business, politics? 
what, what sort of solutions would you recommend so that it is easier for black people to believe in themselves and to want to go for these positions in all these different sectors so we can actually reclaim that institutional power? Pondering. One uh, solution that I've been pondering about is um, having platforms or having people who do virtual workshops that um, specialize in black entrepreneurial work or um, supporting and building black businesses. I think those should be marketed towards black youth because I know for a fact if there was like a Zoom call with probably about 20, just 20 people talking about how a young person can really build a business and specifically a young black person can really market a business in a way in which it can really be mainstream and can really have a, a high clientele I think that would be truly valuable because there are black people who do specialize in business and do so much for their communities but they are not seen they are not seen in the media that's why I personally believe we need to make our own media platforms I think um, the person who made BYP they're all they're already paving way for numerous uh, black app creators or website creators to to use initiative to promote their own business and other black businesses I would also say if you're if you're someone who's more um, academically inclined you could even pick biz, a business GCSE or what I think is even more valuable is a sociology GCSE which I'm actually studying um, business and sociology are two GCSEs that are extremely valuable for the progression of um, black black um, leaders and I think um, me picking sociology has been extremely valuable. I'm going to be learning about politics, criminology, social issues, so I can really refine my knowledge. I think um, a few of my friends that have already um, been studying uh, business GCSE, especially my uh, black friends, have been saying that they're really enc encouraged to go into entrepreneurial work. So I would 100% uh, recommend that. The last thing I would do is look at inspirations do your research madam cj walker i was watching uh there was like a series about it on netflix i've been watching uh quite recently it's they're obviously um a bit of historical disparities but overall it's an enjoyable show to watch and i think you can also understand different themes that are still relevant in today's society there's themes of colorism which is reflected with the gilmore girls there's themes of um black people being um denied access to basic resources they need to build their businesses which is a reflection of the systems that are still in place um yeah i would definitely say do research have confidence and create connections because if you actually dm people message people there'll probably be a few that actually reply to you and i think the most important thing we need in the community is reassurance and love and support because we need to have that mutual support for one another if we truly want to thrive together and build that black wall street again yeah, I, I love it when you mentioned Black Wall Street, because I definitely, I think about Black, the actual Black Wall Street in Tulsa, it's unfortunate that it was uh, obviously burned down, but it just shows you that the idea of white supremacy is definitely against Black progress, and they will not accept the fact or that the narrative of Black excellence. And this is exactly, uh, this is actually going to lead into my next point very well. 
I think one main aspect of black leadership in general that the world is lacking, or at least the black community and the African communities are lacking, is there's a lack of black mentorship and a lack of black role models to look up to, specifically also black female models, right? Our role models, right? So what I would say is we need to actually change the way we're educating people. And I've definitely, I want to push for this all the way because I was not privileged enough to get uh, a pro-black education, I'd say, until my last two years of high school, right? I never learned about leaders like Mansa Musa or Mansa Abu Bakari or, you know, different kinds of people, uh, Vicente Guerrero, of course, um, all these different black leaders that either led revolutions or were great business owners, were great scholars, were just amazing people. If I don't learn about those people in my history, I am damned into believing that it is the white man that catered to the world's needs and essentially built the entire world and was the foundation for the world's progress, which is, of course, a lie. And we've gone on to debunk that in several of my TikTok videos and several of my podcasts with several of my guests. And also black mentorship. This is one thing that I mentioned, right? I think that what people, I think obviously in this society, we're quite individualistic. Everyone's kind of just working on their own hustle and that's kind of the end of the story. But we need to realize that as black people, if you have skills or if you have knowledge that you know people in your community do not have, or at least you want to help them out, it is your obligation to share that knowledge. It is your obligation to create a space in which people actually feel comfortable coming to you and you mentoring them through a process because that's the only way in which the black community can actually be able to fight this oppression. No one else is meant to, no one else is gonna care about us if they're from the non-black community. They don't really have any incentive to, right? And sometimes as we previously discussed, some allies will just use it as a way of getting social capital. So black people really need to take initiative and look to the younger people and say, hey, I think that you would really benefit from this. And as you said, with those workshops, if you're specializing in those different places, as a black person, take one hour out of your time or even one minute out of your time and post a TikTok describing what you do and how you can be able to help the black community. And that's probably, for me, one of the main things, along with your idea as well, I think it's a very great idea of being able to share and impart knowledge and to be able to proliferate that knowledge all around the black community. So as we do close off, is there anything else that you would like to say in closing? Any last parting words that you would like to share with the Black youth specifically? I think um, one last thing I would um, like to say is that we have to really um, take a step back and look at how we say the Black community. Without unity, there is no community. And that's why I believe that we really need to start um promoting support of black businesses and promoting um this um kind of space space in which black people hear um one another's stories and have that mutual respect and relatability and with that comes um progression of our of our success and with that becomes the, the building of uh, the black wall street i always repeat that i always say that because i generally believe with the resources we have now and with the people who were so um um 
like passionate about dismantling systems that are oppressive towards us i think we truly can create a black wall street again for any of the younger um listeners or viewers i would probably say um never never think that your age is a reason to just like not do anything because at the end of the day time flies and creating a foundation is something that can really help you when you get into higher education or even when you leave the education system so if you have a passion if you have something that you truly believe in don't think that your age is a restriction see your age as as a sign and a marker that you are truly passionate and yeah that's all i have to say Thank you so, so much, Mariah. <clears throat> it's been so great to have you on this podcast. Obviously, good luck with your campaign and everyone else. I highly suggest that you follow Mariah on Instagram. Um, you'll most likely end up seeing, I'll tag her in the, the posts that I'll post on Instagram. Please go ahead, follow her. You can learn so much from her as well. Like, I'm, I'm obviously kind of shocked, like you're 13 and you're talking about all these big complex topics. Obviously, I think we should make this the norm because I keep telling people, although people had a different conception of age about 500 years ago, people your age were literally kings and queens and they were conquering other countries, which is for me quite hilarious just to think about how young people have been also put into this idea that necessarily we don't have the, the power to make change. But as Gen Z has shown, we are, we are obviously trying to rewrite that narrative. And I just want to thank you so much for being here and for being a guest on our show and for gifting us all of this knowledge. Good luck with your campaign. And to everyone listening, I hope you have an amazing day and I will see you next time.